You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Well, welcome. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? For those of you who are new with us, um, we don't stand here because it's tradition. We stand here because we recognize uh, the King of Kings is speaking to us through his holy word. And so we stand to honor him. We stand to posture not just our bodies, but our minds and our hearts to receiving this word and sitting under this word. We're continuing our sermon series uh, of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And so we find ourselves today in chapter 4, verses 7 all the way through 14. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. I love hearing those pages turn as we focus in on the Word. Yes, Beverly, I love the flap of those pages. We have Bibles for you right in the pew backs in front of you. If you do not have one, that is our gift to you. You can take it home. Um, But if you're like, I don't feel like opening up one, we'll have it on the screen for you. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, hear the Word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul continues, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you thank him with me through prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this letter, that this is not just a letter to be reserved and looked at historically, but it's meant to be a a letter that's applied locally here. Your word is timeless. It is always relevant. And so would you speak into our lives by your grace and by your spirit. We ask all this in the mighty and ascended, powerful name of Jesus, our King. Amen. You all can be seated. Paul's now shifting his focus from 
all of us as a body to each of us. Remember, he just got done with the holy seven unity. We are one body filled with one spirit who look forward towards one hope. We have one Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have one faith and one baptism, he says, and we have one Father who is over, in, and works through one family called the church. And from that unity that we have in Christ Jesus as the whole church, he now looks to each of us. Holistically, yes, and individualistically. See, Paul's desire here is for the whole church to mature. But the whole church cannot mature unless every part plays its part. I I want to know, do, do you want to grow? I mean, chances are, if you're here this morning, you want change in your life. I mean, chances are you're not listening in on this sermon so that you can tell somebody else to change, that they need to listen to the sermon, right? Hopefully that's not how you're listening to the sermon. Do you want change? Not just for you, but for the people around you? Paul says that's possible. Paul says that's, did I miss something? No. That's all right. One day you will. One day you will want change. But how is change possible? Right? How will that happen for each member, not just to mature, but for the whole body to be built up and mature in Christ? What Paul's going to show us today, you have to bear with me, it's a long main point today. It's a long passage, a dense passage. But Jesus gives diverse gifts to a diverse people so that the church will be unified, matured, and will serve. I'll say it again. Paul's desire is for the whole church to mature. That Jesus gives diverse gifts to a diverse people to make them a unified body that serves and matures. Hear me. Jesus doesn't merely call you to consume his grace. He calls you to contribute by his grace. Doesn't merely call you to consume his grace. He calls you to contribute to the church body by the working of his grace. And Paul is going to show us this that we are servant hearted contributors. And the first point that gospel unity is enriched by gift diversity. It's the first point. And second, is that gospel unity's goal is growth and maturity. Gospel unity's goal is growth and maturity. So let's dive into that first point. You all ready? Gospel unity is enriched by gift diversity. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. But by grace was given to each one of us to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
What do we see first? It's the giver of gifts. Who is the giver of gifts? Sunday school answer? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the giver of gifts. While there aren't different measures of saving grace, he does give out different measures of serving grace. Paul seems to tell us that there are different measures of grace so that each member can serve. It's grace that leads us to serve. We aren't just saved by grace. Paul says we serve by grace. Do you see that? Many gifts, one body. While there is unity in the body, remember all those ones from verses 1 through 6? There's not uniformity across the body. There's a diversity of gifts. See, our culture today wants to give us a thin definition of diversity that is only based on skin pigmentation. But the gospel gives us a robust definition of diversity that includes ethnic diversity, but also gift diversity. There's differentiation within the body of Christ. And these gifts are dispensed by who? The victor. The victor. This line that Paul is quoting from in verse 8, did you know it's from a psalm? It's from Psalm 68, where the people are remembering what God had done for them when he freed them from slavery, from underneath Pharaoh's tyranny. He says, you have ascended to the heights. This is the Psalter. Taking away captives, you receive gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might dwell there. You see, when somebody would conquer a kingdom, the kingdom's treasures, like in the Exodus, would all be given to the victorious king and then be given out to the victorious brand new kingdom. You see, the work of Jesus in verse 7 and 8 is presented like this Roman warrior parade. What would happen in Roman uh, warrior parades is that all of the treasures and the enemies would be paraded through the center city in a parade of shame and a parade of glory. Shame on the enemies. Glory for the victorious kingdom. But the gospel of Jesus Christ flips that script upside down. We are not welcomed in a parade of shame, but it's a parade of grace over his enemies. For when did Christ come to die for us? Is it when we were surrendered? No, he came to die for us while we were still sinners. Don't you see, Jesus didn't just triumph, triumph over our sin and death for us, but he triumphed over us. We are once his enemies And now he dispenses, not shame, but grace. Grace to you. We now have grace, not that that just saves us, but grace that empowers us to serve. Paul goes on in verse 9 and says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? You guys are wondering that too, about this passage. What does this mean? That he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, 
Can we all admit, at first glance, this passage is confusing? Just me? It's confusing, right? But if you slow down, it's actually a self-explained passage. If you look at this passage, not in an airtight Ziploc baggie all by itself, but with the whole letter in view, what are the two realms that the Apostle Paul always talks about? The heavenly realm, and what else? Help me out. The earthly realm. It's no different here. What are the lower regions that Christ descended to? The answer is right at the end of verse 9. You have the idea, the lower regions, comma, explanation. Not hell, but where? The earth. He descended to the earth. What's he talking about? The incarnation. The incarnation. He's like, do you see that your king was made low? That he put on human form to become like you in form, but not like you in your failings? But that on the cross, Philippians 2 tells us, he bore our shame. He bore our failings on that cross. And all of our sin, all of our shame was buried with him in the grave. But when he walked out three days later, our sin and our shame were left there. And when he woke up on that Easter Sunday, he rose victoriously and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. He didn't give us grace just in the cross and the empty tomb. He did. But he also gave us grace when he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Grace that empowers us to now serve. He gives us diverse gifts to a diverse people to be a unified church that grows and matures. And he continues not just with the giver of gifts, but also the character of gifts in verse 11. Look with me in verse 11. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, if you know me, this is my passage, y'all. I love this verse. If you've been around Renaissance enough, you've heard me quote this over 200 times. Gifts are given to equip the church. And this is not an exhaustive list of gifts, just like 1 Corinthians 12 is an exhaustive list of gifts. Or Romans 12 is an exhaustive list of gifts. But showing off unity amidst diversity of gifts. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of, say it with me, gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of, say it with me, service, but the same Lord. Now, theologians, practitioners, scholars, they're going to argue about whether the apostle, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers are actual offices in the church. Right? They're going to argue over whether they're an office like an elder is an office or a deacon is an office. They'll argue over whether some of them are offices or some of them are gifts. Or they'll argue over, are they just all gifts? And let me just say this to you. It doesn't matter where you land theologically on whether you think they're offices or gifts. Because regardless of where you land on it, Paul's point still remains. What's the point? That the whole church would be equipped by these folks. Now, where do I land? I, I, I think they're gifts. Why do I think they're gifts? Because that's what Paul calls them. 
right? Verse 7, he gave Christ gifts, different measures. And then in verse 11, he says, he gave, what did he give? The gift of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Remember earlier, we said that there are special capital A apostles, right? It's the 12 disciples, the Apostle Paul, a couple others. Those are no longer in service today. But there's lowercase a apostles, generally. We have a, it up here on the screen for you. Special apostles, general, special apostles no longer exist, but general apostles, those with the giftings, yeah, you can have apostolic giftings. Special prophets, those who predicted the future, no longer exist because we cannot add on to God's word. But general prophets, those who are able to speak God's word in and out of season without adding to God's word but using God's word, that gifting, not office, still present within the church. This is what I think is happening here and it can still happen today. It's a gift in general, not special. You with me so far? So what is a lowercase apostle? Let's go to the next slide. Generally, an apostle is someone who is sent. This is what the word means. Sent to start a new gospel work. Think of that as church planters, form missionaries, an unreached people group. A prophet, what do they do? They speak gospel truths. Evangelists, they share the gospel with non-believers. Shepherds, this is where we get the term pastor from. Elders, let's pause for a second. Myself, I'm, I'm an elder on staff here. Luke is an elder. Daniel is an elder. Andrew's an elder. Will we have some of these giftings? I hope so. Elders are meant to teach, but not all people who are called to teach have the qualification of elder. clear, right? Our elders called the shepherd. That's just one of their roles. Mm -hmm. But not all who have the gift to care for one another ought to be elders because they might not meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. So shepherds are to care, lead, guard towards gospel culture, and a teacher is to teach gospel doctrine. Now, I can sit here literally, you can ask my wife, literally for the rest of the day, talking to you about this. I have shelves, plural, not books, shelves of books filled with this stuff. What I want to do is just whet your appetite for this stuff so you can go and research it even more. At bare minimum, this is what they are. It's nothing less than these, but more than these. But remember, we're not here to figure out if these are offices or not. Paul has stressing a very important reality here. Gift diversity towards being built up in what? Unity. Unity. That's what he says. What is the purpose of this gift, verse 12? That every single member is equipped for the work of ministry and service in the church body. These gifts are not present so they can create ministries for you to come be a part of. 
to create ministries for you to consume. These gifts are there to equip you to do the work of ministry and do the work of service. Now, why do I keep using this word service this whole time? Well, this word for ministry that's translated in nearly all translations is the same word used for a deacon. It's diakonoia. We have it up here. And this is what it means, servant. You're given grace, the gifts of grace, so that others can equip you to do what? Serve. It's the work of service. This is why every team member, whether you're on Renaissance Kids, the hospitality team, it's a team of servants, music team servants, led by a lead servant. We're not choosing that name arbitrarily. Every Christian's calling. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your calling is not to be served, but equipped to serve. J.T. English, in his book, Deep Discipleship, writes this, success in ministry is not found in building programs, but in building disciples. Disciples who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Luke 10, 27, Christ is the goal. No better or more impressive ministries. Christ is the goal, not better or more impressive ministries. Or I might add Instagram accounts. Jesus, he is what we want, amen? Because when we're running after that goal, equipped for that goal, what will happen? Unity, immaturity, and service towards one another into an outside world. Gospel unity is enriched by y'all's diversity of gifts. Not uniformity. But gospel unity's goal is, second point, growth and maturity. Look what Paul says as he continues on. He says, For the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. These gifts are given to certain folks in the church for the building up of the church in unity, verse 12 and 13. Right? This is not an exhaustive list. You can go find another non-exhaustive list. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. They have the, all the same aim. You know what that is? Growth and maturity in Christ-likeness. And I love that Paul used the imagery of the body. I love that he uses the imagery of the body. Right? We don't want to be a bobblehead church. Right? You ever seen a bobblehead before? The head is bigger than the rest of the body. What's a bobblehead church? It's one that has a big head, has a bunch of knowledge, it puffs itself up with knowledge, but doesn't practice the faith. Knows the faith, doesn't practice it. At the same time, we don't want to be a gym rat church. You ever see gym rats before? They work out their upper body so much, and they forget about the legs. They're like toothpicks. Right? What has Paul been saying all along for the body that we're able to walk in love? You can't walk on toothpicks. 
We need every part playing its part. It's only working together. A body is only healthy when every part is working properly. Paul says elsewhere to the church in Corinth, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen, you cannot do alone, I cannot do alone what we can do together. French theologian and philosopher, you may have heard of him from the 16th century, the namesake of our worship director's uh, third child, Calvin, writes this, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, I'll say that again, without the assistance of others, to supply his own need. Do you know what this means? We need each other, and others need you. This is not a weird codependency where we need others to need us. That's just kind of gross. It's not a, a false gospel of independence that we can do whatever we want on our own. We're good. And this is true dependence. What this passage is saying is that all Christians in all their imperfections are both needy and needed. Do you hear me? You are both needy in a lot of things and needy in, and needed in some things. Does that mean that God needs you? Nope. God doesn't need anything. But he wants to use you because he knows that we need one another. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I'm a very needy person. Amen? You are needy. What else is true? You're needed in some things. Not all things. And so am I. Men, look at me right now. You are needed in this church. My sisters, women, you are needed in this church. To the young, to the old, you're needed. To the married, your marriages are needed in this church. That's one of the gifts. It's a gift of marriage. To the singles in this church, your gift, as much as you hate me calling it a gift. The gift of singleness needed in this church. 
And a word to the singles in this church right now. I know many of you have come from church backgrounds that told you that you will mature when you get married. And if they didn't say it, you felt it. It's a lie from hell. Marriage does not equal greater maturity in the church. Singles, can I get an amen? If that were the case, our Savior wouldn't be mature enough to be a member of the church, and neither would the guy who's writing this letter. I was listening to a talk the other day, and he quoted um, this theologian from from Duke uh, Theological Seminary, Stanley Hauerwas. Um, He he says this. I don't have the quote, so just just listen. What was so countercultural especially in Roman culture, this is Roman culture, where Ephesus was, is that family and marriage were everything. You think family and marriage is an idol today? Whew. It was everything back then. That's so much so that if you weren't married, you were culturally and socially in trouble, whether you're a man or a woman. You weren't cared for, you were suspect, and if you were a female, you are accused of being a prostitute. And then along comes Christianity, where its founder was single, and one of its first leaders were single, and suddenly, in this counterculture called the church, singles, widows, divorcees who were abandoned, and women were legitimized in the way that Roman culture would not legitimize them. They could be leaders in the church, freed to serve in ways that married people couldn't. And single women, they were the first evangelists. Single women were at the tomb where they saw the risen Christ, and then with boldness, they went and told all the doubters, who were all men, that Christ is risen. It was single women who fueled and funded Jesus' earthly ministry. And it was single men and single women who first housed the early churches. This is true diversity of giftings, gender differentiation between male and female, relationship status diversity, singled, married, And this is what we want at Renaissance Church. And by God's grace, it's happening. By God's grace, it's happening. Where, yes, we have a deacon over finances who's a married man, but we have a deacon over benevolence who's a single woman, flourishing, leading in that role. Where we have both married men and women and single men and women leading and, dare I say, have the gift of care that are over our community groups. It's the gift of shepherding. We have women in this church who have the gift of teaching. Do not hear elder. That's not what I'm saying right now. Right? All women are called to teach. Because Jesus didn't just say, you men who are disciples, go and teach all that I've commanded you to do. No, he didn't qualify it. But all who are my disciples, go and teach. Teach doesn't equate with the office of elder. You with me? I want to say it again just so I don't get an email this week. Teaching does not equate with the role of pastor and elder. All are called to teach and equip 
like the ladies in our church, are being taught and equipped by other ladies and women under the word. And where even someone who is a brand new believer is starting Bible studies on the campus of CMU with other non-believers because he has the gift of evangelism. By God's grace, we're seeing the diversity of gifts bear fruit and bring unity to grow and mature our body. And ministry, service, is not limited to the things that I just said. It's not limited to those things, but more. Because these gifts aren't limited to these lists. Every dimension of your life is ministry and service. Your office space is ministry. Your school is ministry. Your home, whether it's filled with a family or filled with you and a roommate or you're all by yourself, is ministry. Your neighborhood is ministry. Why? Because ministry for the Christian is life and life is ministry. Let me put it this way. Servant-heartedness is life, and life is servant-heartedness for the Christian. Why? Because our king did not come to be served, but to serve. And now we follow, be imitators, and walk in him. You see, what will happen if you do not play your part? The church will not be fine. Because are we fine is this finger fine that I burnt yesterday that's making my body ache over here? No, i got to get this thing healthy and working properly. If you don't play your part, this church will not grow to be more like Jesus. We will not attain or reach the destination of unity of faith but instead will be tossed to and fro by every wind of man-made doctrine that deceives us and confuses us for the real gospel when it's just a counterfeit gospel. You with me? This is a full team effort. If you want a sports analogy, it's a full team effort. Quarterback is nothing without its front line. A pitcher is nothing without its catcher. Or his pitching coach. It's a full team effort. And what does this require you to do? Every gift requires you to have an open Bible, an open life, and an open mouth. Speak. Speak. He says, rather. This is Luke's passage for two weeks from now. Little hints. He says, rather speak in truth and love. It requires you to open your mouth with one another. 
Open your lives, open your Bibles. Your job is to be equipped so that you can serve. The question isn't which gift am I? Paul's not giving you a gift assessment right here. He's giving you a contribution assessment. Are you contributing or are you just consuming? And here's the reality. There isn't a time where you aren't being equipped by someone or something as well as equipping someone with something. The question is, what are you equipping them with? What are you equipping them for? Are we being equipped? Are you being equipped? That is the work of ministry so that others around you will look more like Jesus? Or are you being equipped in such a way to equip others so that they look more like you? That's uniformity, not unity. Right? Isn't it interesting? You see, what tends to happen is what we tend to normalize in our life becomes moralized in our life. What's normalized I vote this way, I drink this way, I eat this way, I school my children this way. It's normal for me, and then all of a sudden it becomes normal, moralized for everybody else. We have a list of shoulds for everybody else. The Bible never commands. This is the deceitful schemes of counterfeit gospels, counterfeit gospel cultures. We tend to normalize things, then we moralize things. And it doesn't just happen from within the body, it happens outside the body as well. This 24-hour news cycle with all scandal, political upheaval, ever-increasing outrage. Perhaps what our city needs the most is not the hype social media pastor and personality, but just everyday ordinary Christians equipped with the extraordinary message of God's grace. Maybe that's what our culture needs. Maybe it needs people to open up their mouth with gentleness, patience, forbearance, and even more so, humility. To say that if it wasn't for grace, I'd be worse than you. I just wonder right now, To whom are you saying, I have no need of you? Or how often do you say to yourself, I am not needed? Here's what I want for this church. To be a church that says, I'm needed in a few things but needy in a lot of things. Here's what I want to say. I'm needed in a few things and needy in a lot of things. And with those gifts, with those gifts, Jesus says we aren't to hoard them, right? If we say what belongs to Jesus belongs to us, And if he shares them with us, then we are to share them with others. We're not meant to be like little kids with their birthday spoils with gifts. Mine, right? But we have new birth spoils. 
that says, what's mine is yours. Because that's what the king has done. What is my grace is your gifts to serve others. See, why can Jesus dispense these gifts to us? It's because he is the originator, the author, the source of all these gifts, right? He is the true and better apostle who was sent from the Father, empowered by the Spirit, to start a new gospel work here on earth where nobody knew they needed that gospel work. Jesus was the true and better prophet who came and told us the worst thing about ourselves, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot work our way back to God. But he told us the great news that we can ever possibly imagine, that you are more loved than you realize. You are more known than you know yourself. But I'm doing the work to get you back to God. I'm paying the price by my spilt blood. He is the true and better evangelist who came and preached the kingdom of God. Preach such a kingdom that he says it's not those who think that they're citizens in the kingdom of God. No, those who admit that they've been enemies now by faith in me can be not second-class citizens but first-class citizens in this kingdom of God because the king would normally come and kill his enemies, but this king came and was killed for his enemies. This is the good news of the gospel. He's the true and better shepherd who comes and leads his flock to pastures of living water and green pastures of his righteousness, but he also dies as the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the true and better teacher who doesn't just teach us the law of Moses, but the heart behind the law and the commands of Moses. And where we failed at every step of the way to love God and love our neighbor, he fulfilled all those commands in our place. But he bore the curse as one who did not obey those commands. You know what the curse was for those who did not obey the commands? To be hung to a tree. He bore the curse we deserve so that we get grace that he deserves in this king who is enthroned, Paul says, above all the highest heavens. He shows us what it's like to serve others. For he did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not come to take our life, but he gave of his life. This king who was far above all made himself low, even poor. He was born into a borrowed stable and died and buried in a borrowed tomb. This king didn't come to triumph over you with swords of judgment and condemnation, but in his humiliation, he now declares that those who have faith in me have no condemnation if you are in me. You are guilt-free. I do not judge you any longer, but all that's reserved for you is not the punishment that I got, but the love, grace, that I deserve based on my accomplishment is now for you, for you. And he rose victoriously from the grave, not only giving us a saving grace that makes us right with God, but a serving grace that makes us right with one another. This is our king. Kings would normally come and take, kill, and keep the treasure for himself. But Jesus came to be killed. And gives his enemies his treasure. His gifts. 
And so now, regardless of how he has gifted you or to the person next to you, our aim is to be further equipped so that we can help one another grow. Amen? So let's be a church. This is my prayer for you, that we'd be a church who doesn't look down on others because of their gifts or look up in envy in comparison to others with their gifts. That type of comparison is a thief of joy. But there's a type of comparison that leads to joy. It's thankfulness. Thank you, God, that you made me this way. And thank you, God, that you made them that way. I need them. They, in some ways, need me. So we can now turn to one another in humility and say, you are Jesus's gift to me. And you can humbly say, I'm Jesus's gift to you. I need you and you need me because we've all admitted our neediness that we need Jesus. We don't need anything more than Jesus. Just more of him, right? This is what Paul is aiming at. And so let's be this type of church who recognizes, hey, Pastor Rob, we got this. We send you out in confidence on your sabbatical. We need you for a couple things. And that's about it. You just need me for a couple things. This is what I want when I come back from sabbatical is that I would come back to a church awakened. Awakened to this reality. You're both needy and needed. Awakened to the reality how Christ has gifted you to build up the whole body. That's my prayer for for you while I'm gone as I take my sabbatical for 12 straight weeks. That I would not come back to a church that says, we need you for everything. But to say, we were fine. Christ had us. We were built up and we grew. Amen? Can I just admit that it's sometimes hard for your pastor to believe that? That I can step away and you all be built up just fine. So that's why I need this reminder every week the accomplishment of what Jesus has done for us. And in all reality, when we attempt to build, who is the one building? It's Jesus. Jesus builds his church. So both and reality, that we partner in with Christ. And this reminder right here is a beautiful reminder that he'll be with us to the end of the age as we keep building this church up with the gospel, as we spread the gospel. Then the night Jesus was betrayed, as he sat there with his disciples, his future apostles, he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine, and he said, this 
is the cup of the new covenant, and it's sealed with the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you are announcing my death until I return. We're announcing grace. Grace that saves and grace that leads us to serve so we'd be built up by this grace. Our tradition here, prior to COVID, and now starting again, is to break off a piece of this bread and you'll hear Christ's body was given for you. And then dip it into the juice where you hear Christ's blood was shed for you. For those of you who are still leery about a common Lord's table, we'll have individual uh, Lord's Supper options up here for you that you can take individually. But for those of you who don't call yourself a Christian, who don't follow Jesus, this symbol right here is a symbol of our unity with God and with one another. We invite you not to partake of this meal, not to exclude you, but to invite you to take Jesus, to trust in him so that you could be a part, a working part of this church to see it built up in love. Amen? Amen.